0: for you. You may have okay. seen it already if you saw my social media like a month ago. I mm-hmm. put one picture of this up. All right. okay. You ready? Here we yeah. go. This is something I, I hate. I absolutely hate this.
1: You look like your dad.
0: I, I, I 100% look like my father. If you're just <laughs> You look like, listen- like your dad. If you are just listening to this, I put on my glasses. I got glasses about a month ago. <laughs> They're just for reading or, like, up-close stuff. Yeah. Um, but, no, yeah, because I, I, I was at the optometrist's, and I was like, oh, man, I like these glasses that don't have the frame all the way around. And then I picked them up and put them on at home, and I was like, my father has glasses that don't have yes. the frame all the way around.
1: I'm expecting you to try to sell me <laughs> roofing.
0: <laughs> he doesn't do that anymore.
1: <laughs> oh, okay.
0: Yeah, there's well, a whole I, big he story. did I knew him. But... He did, yeah. He did up until, like, a few months ago. Uh, okay. There's a, there's a whole big story with that that I can get into another time with you, but yeah. Yeah. No, I got glasses. You know that also reminds me that comment you made. I um, showed my students a year and a half ago a picture of my family when I was yeah. being blessed as a baby, right? Baby blessing, uh-huh. newborn, whatever. And in the picture is my great grandfather, my grandfather, my father, who was holding me. Yeah. And I put this picture on the screen. Um, cause we were talking about world war II, and I was talking about my great grandfather's experiences with world war II, So I put that up on the screen and mm. be like, Hey, I, I met him a few times. And they looked at that picture and said, Mr. Stockford, whose baby are you holding?
1: Yeah. Like who are those three identical looking people?
0: <laughs> I don't know that far, but they were like, who's, why are you holding someone's baby? And I'm like, yeah, I I'm the baby. And they flipped. <laughs> they were like, no way.
1: Okay. This is, I think this is something that we need to slate for uh, a social media post is that picture that you're describing. And then I'll post a video of my dad um, christening our the sailboat that we bought in, I think it was like 1998. And he's, he's like doing the ceremony, like reading off a thing. And it's, I, I thought it was me. Like wow upon because I, I had had never seen this, but I honestly like for a second I thought it was me and then I noticed this little kid running through the frame. That little kid was me. <laughs> I was like four <laughs> years old.
0: So but, I know you're like, not the oldest, the... but you're the
1: sorry, go ahead, go ahead. You finish. Oh oh just like like he has he has a beard, his voice sounds exactly <laughs> the same as mine, like his his uh like manner of speaking is exactly the same as me. Um, Look at us, little Wish.com versions
0: of our parents. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, no, I think they're the Wish.com versions of us.
0: Ah, yeah, we're the Kirkland signature.
1: (laughs) Yes, yeah, quality product at a lower price.
0: Right, right. Speaking of which, you can buy my uh, affection. Or or my time.
1: (laughs) Okay, (laughs) I think that's only legal in Nevada, but...
0: Oh my gosh! Well, oh 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 my gosh! That <laughs> took a
1: second.
0: <laughs> you just called me a whore.
1: <laughs> you know what? Sex work is honest work. It should be legal everywhere. That's my that's my newest hot take. Welcome to Agreeable Disagreements. It's a show where uh, two friends. Uh, for, with differing political ideologies, <laughs> debate, <laughs> topics in politics. Uh, my name is Andrew. This is my co-host, Cameron. And uh, what is our first topic this week?
0: There's a lot that has happened in the last couple of weeks, but um, we want to focus on two things today. We're going to talk about the cocaine in the White House scandal and mm. uh, also the Supreme Court case about affirmative action. Um yes. Which... You could argue isn't specifically about affirmative action and is more about race and college admissions. Yes. Um, yeah. You could argue either way. But we're going to talk about both of those things today, starting with the cocaine in the White House. Um, you and go ahead. Why
1: Am I, am I so disappointed that uh, I that I left it there.
0: <laughs> I was going to uh, ask if you had been there recently, you beat me to it.
1: No, but actually I think, so my parents uh, had a trip planned to Washington DC and they, they got on the list um, to uh, cause he, uh, apparently in order to tour the white house, you have to request it like basically exactly three months in advance, like no sooner, no later. Right. Um, and my, uh, I have a family member who um, she, I think, was the, like, director of maritime commerce or something under sure. the uh, Obama administration. And I think that's how they got, like, uh, an in with this. I, I, I actually don't know if, like, she even had to pull any strings, but they were going there to visit her. And they were meaning to go to the White House uh, to take a tour, but then both my parents got covid and i want to say it might line up with the timeline of when they found uh found the cocaine hmm. um
0: that is interesting
1: so they could have they could have potentially like had they gone been on that tour um huh. but yeah what uh, what are your initial thoughts cuz i think i'm i'm squarely in the it, it was definitely a visitor to the white house
0: oh mm. no sir i, I no? vehemently disagree with that you
1: think you think it was telling, Biden? <laughs> i
0: don't know about his you're telling me that
1: i don't somehow... know sleepy joe's gotta stay awake somehow
0: <laughs> that reminds me of a meme a meme i saw um that i sent to one of my friends of course it won't open right now hold on um let me pull it up really quick it was uh it's a tweet a screenshot of a tweet, but it was, you cannot call him Sleepy Joe and be mad he has cocaine. Do you want him up or not? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, um, you're telling me that one of the most notorious and easily sought after, looked out for, in security situations, drugs, made Mm -hmm. it into the White House. Yes. Arguably the most secure building... On the earth,
1: I think we're seeing that that's not actually the case.
0: Well, that's what I'm going to get at. And nobody somehow, oh, there's no way we could catch it. You're, you're telling me there's no way of being like, oh, because they found it in a locker. Let's just yeah. use the cameras that we all know are in this building to look at who went to that locker that day. You're telling yeah. me that's not possible. So I'm thinking one of two things happened either one, it's not nearly as secure as we think, as you suggested, yes. or two, it belonged to someone it definitely shouldn't have belonged to higher up, whether that is a cabinet okay. member yeah. or a family member. Somebody of... had
1: sway to be able to to make it Go away. disappear. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not discounting that like I'm not ruling that out, but I think I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Occam's razor. I think the simplest explanation is usually I, the best. I like I, love I that. think it's if you know anything about airport security, airport security, very secure. It's incredibly easy to get <laughs> stuff through.
0: Again, speaking um, from experience, here
1: true. No, <laughs> actually, actually kind of, because I, uh, I did not do this intentionally. Sure. As our listeners, uh, of previous episodes know, I'm a gun owner. Uh, and I also lived in Ireland. The, like, a couple days before I moved to Ireland, I had gone out uh, target shooting, and I had inadvertently left a um, a twenty two caliber cartridge in my pocket of, like, my jeans or something. Yeah. I... Those are so small, you'll forget them and miss them anyway. Like... They are, in fact. Uh, and don't ask me why, but I have one right here. That's... <laughs> That's how small the thing you're yeah. talking about yeah yeah um, it was in my pocket I got pulled out for the extra like full body scan
0: oh at SeaTac
1: when I was going over there.
0: I'm surprised um, they didn't do a full cavity search on you
1: well I didn't say they didn't <laughs> um, but <laughs> no. this this cartridge wasn't in any of my cavities <laughs> um, but I somehow I made <sighs> it through that whole screening. And they did not catch it. Even through the metal detector, they didn't catch it. Wow. A couple weeks later, um, there was a news story about like uh, a U.S. airline um, that they they found a 22 caliber cartridge. This exact thing that I had in my pocket and made it all the way over to Ireland with. Totally inadvertently, I did not know that I had this. Yeah. I didn't even find it, you know, for like a couple weeks until after. Um, but they, uh, they had a, like a flight attendant had found one of these on the floor of an, of a plane when they were boarding they took everyone off and uh, they had, you know, they just like totally scrubbed the whole, uh, the whole plane. They had dogs come in like the whole shebang. Jeez. And so I think it just, like a lot of the security for these secure locations, a lot of it's really just theater. Yeah. I I know tons of friends who, you know, they go through airport security all the time and they have like their, their weed vape pens or, you know, they're, they're going to like an EDM show in like Las Vegas and they're bringing like more illicit drugs than just weed. Um, again, not me. I'm not, I, I have never done that. I'm never going to do that. Right. Um, but I, I think it's, I think it would surprise you how not secure these secure locations are. And I think the easiest explanation is these were lockers that were being, yes, they were being used by white house staff, but it's also where about 500 visitors in the, span of time that they think it happened about 500 people had been through there using these lockers. I, and it was such a small amount that it doesn't surprise me that it got overlooked. Um, and I think it really just fell out of a visitor's pocket. Now it also wouldn't surprise me if it was white house staff. It, it wouldn't surprise me if it was, you know, someone fairly high up in the white house, but I don't think that's the the simplest explanation.
0: I mean, I, I agree, and I'm not going to immediately jump to the same conclusions that a lot of people will say and be like, it's the staff members, it's the Secretary of Defense, or it's Hunter yeah. Biden's. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to jump to that conclusion immediately. I mean, it's certainly
1: well. not, it's, yeah, it's certainly not like, like, I've seen people being like, it's Hunter Biden. And it's like, no, it's not.
0: I, well, That's I, don't, I think he wasn't there.
1: I th- he I wasn't think he, there. Yeah. I think he's like, yeah, he's been having some issues. I think he's smart enough to not bring drugs into the White House when he's under this much scrutiny. Is he? I think so. I hope for so. One, for one thing, I think he is still successfully in recovery. Which is addiction.
0: good. Yeah, yeah. Which and is so, good. Like, Kudos I, to him. And I want to be clear. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say a hundred percent. It was him. I know he wasn't there. I know it's not his. Yeah. I think, I think people are latching onto the fact that he has that pass and are putting it on him. Yeah. Um, but which same- is honestly,
1: it's that's a, That's really detrimental to his recovery process, I would imagine. It is. I mean,
0: can you imagine if you were constantly, you're trying to get sober and stay sober.
1: Yeah. You're trying to do the right thing and people are constantly
0: berating you and saying that you're not, or you're still on it. You know, I, it can't be easy.
1: Yeah.
0: That all being said, okay. He did some really rough stuff to try and cover up a lot of his other things. Sure. (laughs) And did not do them very well sure <laughs> so I, I hope he's smart enough to not have done that and I, I know again I know he didn't do it yeah but I, I don't know that I can confidently say that he is yeah and it's not just him it's a lot of the people in the current cabinet who and I, I again I know that every administration has people who say and do crazy things but you look at like biden's current press secretaries that are just not very good at dodging the questions when they are, yeah. are fielding questions from reporters they're
1: some of the worst i've seen wait uh is jen is jen saki still his his like <sighs> lead press secretary because i think she was fantastic at it
0: uh she I'm was just all not, not right. as
1: familiar I think um, she no was great. now it's
0: Kareem Jean Pierre,
1: okay, I'm not familiar with her at all I, I really I thought Jen Psaki did a really good job now that could she be in the wake of having uh Spicer and uh oh God, what was the uh scarabucci and all just the uh Sarah Huckabee Sanders like just the worst people that you could ever uh, imagine,
0: yeah. I think part of the problem, and I, I will say, I don't agree with Obama on a lot of policies, but I feel like the quality of a lot of his picks were mm-hmm. better than what we have gotten out of Trump or Biden.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, um, yeah, I would say I, I don't know as much about Biden's picks, I think, to my own fault, like because I was just so relieved that it wasn't Trump. Mm -hmm. I think Trump is just a masterclass in the wrong people to pick. And while I don't think that they all at one point or another, like got fired and replaced, um, like, because, because uh, I don't, I don't, I think they were doing a bad job. I don't think that's why Trump fired and replaced so many of them. I think that had to do with ego. Yeah, it
0: was 100% As soon as you fell out of
1: favor. But I think even even if you overlook the reason why they left their job, I think all of them should have been fired and replaced, regardless of whether it was just, you know, they wouldn't play into his cronies.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think he picked people based on relationship and not merit. And that's, oh, one hundred percent. as a leader, that's your call to make. I'm not yeah. going to say it was better or worse, because uh, you obviously have to know something about the people you're going to hire. And you can't tell me that John Kerry wasn't a relationship pick for Obama's cabinet.
1: I uh, come on. I think I can.
0: Oh, come on. What was I he secretary of? Was he defense? He was,
1: he was secre- no, he was state? secretary of state.
0: Secretary of state.
1: Yeah. Uh, see, uh, I think he was a second choice pick because Obama couldn't pick Hillary. I think Hillary was wild. She was in his cabinet effective. too. She was Secretary of State before John Kerry.
0: Before John but Kerry. Then, okay.
1: But because she was going to be running for president.
0: Oh, that's right.
1: I think that's why he, he had I forgot her, about um, that.
0: That's a good point. Although, that's a good although point. Although, I
1: don't know, is there... like a, I was thinking about this the other day because uh, George George Bush had Colin Powell and then Condoleezza Rice. Is there yeah. like a statute of... or Not a statute of limitations, but a term limit for Secretary of State? Can, are you Ooh. only allowed to serve one term?
0: That's a good question. Let me Google that. Are there term limits for presidential cabinet members.
1: Hmm.
0: I'm not seeing anything. Okay. Inter- it may okay, have just that's... been a qualifications or maybe they left for different reasons.
1: Yeah. Well, I just, I, I thought it was weird because I really, I really, really admire Colin Powell. I think he was yeah. a, a great secretary of state. And I've always kind of wondered why uh rice uh was his secretary of state in the in his second term i i don't necessarily think she did a bad job i actually just listened to um i I have a lot of respect for her i just listened to uh i think oh it's uh one of john stewart's uh episodes of his podcast he actually had hillary clinton and Connelisa rice at the same time and the three of them had a conversation
0: interesting
1: it's intensely fascinating Um, But they, I mean, obviously they don't agree, but like you can tell these are two incredibly educated people who, who just fundamentally understand the issues that they were dealing with on another level than any of us will ever. Um, I don't think John Kerry did as good of a job as, uh, as Hillary Clinton. I do think he was a moderately good pick for secretary of state.
0: I just, uh, I've just not been a huge fan of his, and it's not necessarily because there's a lot of stuff I disagree with him on, so much as I feel like there are stronger picks for a lot of things. You know, he's he's the Mario in Mario Kart. You know, Mario's, like, good enough in all of the realms in Mario Kart,
1: but he's not He ticks all the boxes, but there's no, like, bonus.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or if we're putting it in D&D terms, he's the human race, right? Cuz the human race um or the the fighter class. Yeah, human race and fighter class, you get like the same bonus all around, but you don't get yeah. a good bonus in anything.
1: Right? Yeah. So it's
0: good for some things, not great. It's yeah. your you're yeah.
1: you're a jack of all trades, really. But
0: a master Which of is, none.
1: Which is but a master of none.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Um anyway, anyway, back to uh <laughs> cocaine. That's what we're talking about.
0: You know, I, I'm I not a huge, like, Daily Wire fan. I I, I don't really care yeah. for that. My wife is. I
1: am very much not. Uh, <laughs> I'm very much a, an anti-Daily Wire fan. I,
0: I mean, my wife likes some of them. Um, yeah. I think of the ones, Ben Shapiro is probably the more logical of the people that are on there. He, he tends to... I'm not going to sit here and say I like him. I don't watch his show. But when I hear stuff from him... I I tend to think it's a little bit more centered in logic than in other things, than than the other people, like Michael Knowles or or them. Okay. What I will say, the reason I bring this up is because throughout the whole White House cocaine scandal, they have had some of the funniest terms for cocaine that they have used on their shows,
1: including,
0: (laughs) but not limited to, this is my favorite one, calling it... um, and I will preface this by saying they, jokingly and are very clearly jokingly ascribing it purely to Hunter Biden, but they're clear okay. about it being a joke. One of them called it Hunter Biden booger sugar.
1: Okay, I was gonna. I was honestly, if I had to guess, I would have said it would have had something to do with booger sugar. There's also nose candy. I mean, yeah, snow. I've heard nose
0: candy. I, I've heard snow. Um, I've heard blow, but I've never heard. I had never heard booger sugar.
1: You'd never heard booger sugar. I never sugar? heard
0: booger sugar.
1: Oh no. yeah, no, they're not original when they said that. It is funny, but it's. Uh, I it's, figured
0: it wasn't original, but
1: yeah, no, booger guys. sugar is. Uh, yeah,
0: I know what booger sugar is. You don't have to tell me. No,
1: no, no. I, no. I, I was just saying, like booger sugar, like that's been around for a while. Okay. Um. But yeah, so back back to the actual. Uh, the cocaine. finding of this, I think, honestly, like I know that, um, yeah, there's cameras, yeah, everyone gets searched, like there is a, an established amount of security, and I don't, I don't think I'm not of the opinion that the Secret Service or White House uh, police did, like I don't think they were negligent. I think that, honestly, this is just not that important. And I, I think agree. that's why they gave up the investigation is because it's yeah. a small amount. It was, I mean, it's, I, I forget what the amount was, but it's like...
0: It wasn't even like a full pack or anything. It was like remnants. Someone was, like, was like, oh, resident. it looks like, yeah. They, it, it looked yeah. like someone had done a line where it was. Yeah. So
1: and, it wasn't even a full and dose. It's just like, there are so many other things. Like, I would much rather them focus on like, Continuing the January sixth uh, prosecutions, then worry being worried about who left uh, their empty bag of cocaine.
0: See now, in I the will, water. I will, I will agree with you a little bit there, but I will say my my issue here isn't so much. Well, it's partially that it made it in there because heck, if that's supposed to be super secure and it didn't, then I agree. I don't know that they were being negligent, but they might need to address their procedures and update sure. their policies a little bit more.
1: Sure, yeah. My
0: bigger issue here is the inequality of how it's handled. Because you see people um, get arrested or searched or have their entire lives ruined because they were neighbors of someone who had cocaine. Oh,
1: yeah, certainly. And or then, because they're riding in a car with somebody who has drugs.
0: Right, yeah. Or, heck, you might even have a rental car That you just got in today, Mm
1: -hmm. but the
0: previous person or even two or three people before you had something in there. And, you know, I I feel like my bigger problem is not the fact that it was in there so much as the inequality with which it was handled. I feel like if this had been a restaurant, if this had been somebody's home, if this had been a car being pulled over or heck, even if it was a Greyhound bus and you had 50 people on there and no way of telling whose it is, if it's even anybody's. It would have been handled completely differently. But the fact that it's somebody in that White House, whether it was—and they—I they, think they said it was likely a staff member. The fact I that haven't
1: seen that. I—I I, from what I've seen, everyone uh, that is directly involved with the case has said, "Uh, like basically, like I'm—I'm I'm refusing to speculate until more information comes out."
0: You know, and that's probably true. I thought I saw one where they said it. it's probably, but that may have been probably a staff members, but that was before they concluded yeah. no suspect and they were dropping it. Um, yeah. But either way, just the fact that it's happening in the White House is very different. I, and I think yeah. it's also the same where, I mean, you see rock stars who, heck, I'm reading a book right now all about the rise and fall of 80s, Hard rock and metal, um, yeah, and it's titled "Nothing But a Good Time," and they, yeah. I mean, heck, all the cocaine that they did, everything in there, and they didn't go to prison for it. So part of it yeah. is class. Part of it. Eric is... Clapton wrote a
1: song called "Cocaine,"
0: right? Probably. <laughs> Do you think he, he was wasn't
1: it? actively using cocaine <laughs> while he wrote that song? Oh my gosh. I'm going to sit just down think, and write a song about something that is not within my immediate view
0: right well it's the same with uh, was it Tom Petty and Last Dance with Mary Jane is that who yeah. sang that song yeah Yeah. yeah. um anyway
1: I just that's my actual problem I have my guitar right here and I can play that song ooh I'm not going to but good thank
0: you oh <laughs> please dear god
1: no, I'm joking <laughs> <laughs> you're like I spent four years listening to you play music never again <laughs>
0: Well, to be fair, most of the music I heard you play was on a trombone, not a guitar.
1: That's true. Anyway. Although I did do i I did um, guitar for the for Winter Drumline when we did the Michael Jackson show. That's
0: true. I forgot that, you were in that. Yeah. That oh was man,
1: so much fun. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. But I but I was the only. It, it was me, uh, I think it was me, Brian, and Todd. We were the only because we were the pit uh yeah. orchestra i was in
0: the pit too for oh. that man i was on the vibraphone
1: oh you were i yeah. thought you were in i thought you were oh then oh then no then it was the four of us we were the only ones that weren't allowed to do the thriller dance yeah yep that always made me mad i i thought that you were on snare for that or at least no that was the uh... next
0: year that was yeah the next year on this oh. when i went to drumline
1: okay well anyway uh um, yeah, anyway, sorry what, seems... what were you going to say before that?
0: No, I I I'm not someone to bring class into things. I'm not a Marxist. I'm what you would even verge to say anti-Marxist, but mm-hmm. I think that there is a class equality here, but the difference is instead of it coming from work as Marx would put it, it's coming from a government handling of things. There is a very clear yeah. distinct difference in how things are handled based on your class status and the fact that it happened in the white house yeah and peep they're just magically saying no suspect i that kind of pisses me off
1: oh certainly and i think i mean i think there's a very good case to be made that that was even more true of uh people who were in the white house a lot during the last presidency right uh particularly Direct family members of the forty fifth president.
0: Well, uh, let's be clear. Um, also, direct family members of the forty sixth.
1: Yeah, but uh, I've never I've never watched a speech of Hunter Biden's and been like that man's on cocaine. I have never not watched a speech <laughs> of Don Jr. and thought that man's never touched cocaine in his life. <laughs> so, and I've just and never a seen a speech of Don Jr. <laughs> Well, that's because he's too busy in the bathroom. Doing um, <laughs> <invoke> of <a> sugar. <laughs> this, is, this is all speculation. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think, I mean, really I think it, I, I totally agree with you saying that it's kind of um, it's absurd that it's, there's different rules for different classes of people. Yeah. And I think from my point of view, it really speaks to um, the need to to nationally do something like Oregon did. Um, I think a couple years ago, where uh, I think it was a, a, a referendum vote. So I, I think uh, meaning that, like, it was a a or or was it an initiative? I don't know. It was uh, presented when by they
0: decriminalized most drugs, yes. right? all drugs, that's right. They're
1: decriminalized. That doesn't mean that you're not going to get arrested for things like sale, things like, um, you know, uh, providing drugs to minors. That doesn't mean that you're not going to get a fine for possession, but you, it's not going to go on your criminal record. And so far that has been wildly effective at reducing, uh, uh, recidivism Uh, Can you define
0: that term for me just so I'm making sure I understand what you're saying?
1: Recidivism. uh, And I think I'm pronouncing that correctly is um, people who commit a crime
0: go through. uh,
1: Yeah. And then reoffending. And um, because especially in, in a, you know, in a time where like opiates are a huge problem, And a, and a huge contributor to things like homelessness. Sure. What you're doing is you're punishing people for not being able to handle the repercussions of their prior punishment. And so So, you're you're kind of punishing them for being punished. Uh, when really what we need to do is, is get them treatment, get them, uh, a safe way to uh, detox if possible um, help them, you know, provide them with resources to get them out of situations that are driving them to drug use. Um, But I, I think, I mean, really, I think that, that what, what I'm getting at is that Nancy Reagan's war on drugs, I think is one of the most detrimental things to ever happen to America. And there's plenty of statistics to, to, statistics to back that
0: up we can go into the war on drugs another time because that's one of those things where i think good in principle bad in execution um but i will push back just a little bit on the effects of decriminalization now granted i am not currently living in oregon you are and i will readily admit you are seeing this much more firsthand than i have been able to Mm -hmm. however that when I have visited Oregon since it's passed, I I see way, way more stuff just out in the open, oh, on certainly. the streets downtown, and like yeah. it used to just be you walk around downtown Eugene, you're like oh there's like eight people smoking pot on that corner, and now it's yeah. like oh there's like twelve people smoking pot in that corner, two people doing meth, and three people shooting up, you know?
1: Yeah, i I was in um I was in Portland in April. Uh, for the specialty coffee expo, and uh, one of the nights we were there, my my boss and I went out to you know grab pizza and some drinks. He ended up going home. I, I ended up connecting with some friends, but I'm walking down the the street and I um I think I was looking for directions, and I walked up to a, a picnic table that was outside of a restaurant that was closed, but they had like picnic tables on the street, uh, mm-hmm. and there was a group of people sitting there. And I walked up to them and I was like, excuse me, is this, you know, uh, like, is this division or whatever street it was uh, like, is that this way? And they all like jumped and were startled by me. And that's yeah. when I noticed that they were all there about to get ready to cook some heroin in a spoon.
0: Right. Um, and, you know, I, I, I am as a libertarian, I'm all for the idea of do what you want. And mm-hmm. as someone who never has done nothing that wasn't prescribed by a doctor and plans to never do anything any drug that wasn't prescribed to me by a doctor that is something that i think if you're going to do it that should be something done in private that shouldn't be something that i see out in public because my idea is you should have the right to do whatever you want as long as it's not putting other people at risk. And doing hard drugs in public, even soft drugs like marijuana, you know, you can get a second-hand high and you might now be inhibiting somebody eh, else.
1: You, you can't. <laughs> I've, as somebody who has smoked weed and quite a bit of it, you can't get a second-hand high. That's not – that is not a thing. And that's that's been clinically shown that you have to – you can get a second-hand high – you're not going to get a second hand high by walking by somebody that smoking. And
0: that's blood. fair. It's going to be a much that. larger concentration. I totally, yeah, that's fair. I get that. Um, but the idea of it in public, though, just like we say don't smoke in yeah. public, it's still considered a rude thing to smoke cigarettes in public, and you can do it. Sure. Yeah. I think it's the same kind of deal. Now, that also being said, when I Google effects of decriminalization of drugs in Oregon, I get mixed a very mixed bag i'm seeing a lot of things that's saying from the early start like from the early years some of the stories that are popping up are saying oh yeah it reduced numbers like this but when you look at more recent ones um it's not looking too good a lot a lot of the headlines and articles are saying it was a quote um failure
1: (laughs) no see okay so i that doesn't surprise me what i think what we're dealing with is um certain authors of these articles misconstruing causation and correlation yes there has been an increase in particularly opiates mainly fentanyl uh use in oregon there are there is an increase in that uh nationwide and just because there is an increase doesn't mean that decriminalization has been ineffective. Um,
0: Only one percent of the people who are being sent to rehab are actually going.
1: Well, yeah, that's that's not. I don't think that's the statistic that you look at, though. Look at the um, and uh, I don't. I don't. I, I think there's a lot of, there are things that are correlated that could be used as metrics sure. to show why it's not working versus uh, having actual information to show causation that it's not working. We should I'm do a whole episode partic-
0: on this in the future, because I feel like oh, I don't should. know nearly enough about it, and we could do a whole hour on this in, just well, in, but on he, its own.
1: Here's my main point. Yeah one of the strictest states on drugs is Utah. Yeah. And Utah has the highest rate of opiate use nationwide. And it's not homeless people. It's not uh, you know criminals. It's suburban families. And that shows the pervasiveness of, of particularly opiates but it also shows the difference in in I think um, who we think of as, you know, drug abusers. Yeah. Um, what I think is probably the better solution to criminalizing drugs. Cause we know, we know that criminalizing drugs doesn't work. That it has a whole slew of, of repercussions that are not beneficial to the drug users. It also taught, Cost taxpayers a lot of money. One thing that has been shown to be very effective are things like uh, safe injection sites, places where that are staffed by nurses, where people who are addicted to drugs, uh, mainly intravenous drugs, can go get clean needles. They, right, they and if can't they need get a thing in Narcan,
0: it's right there with a qualified it's person right to administer. There.
1: Yeah. And also the, I've actually, I've been, uh, recently I've been looking at how I can just order a bunch of Narcan and just, I just want to start passing it out. Um, because I actually had a, a, a friend, not a, not a super close friend, but somebody that I've known for quite a few years. Um, uh, uh, we, I don't particularly know the whole story, but from what I've heard, um, he, uh, passed away from fentanyl overdose um yeah a couple months ago. And so I was thinking about, you know, just getting just a shitload of Narcan and just passing it out to to people in our, you know, our shared friend group and at the very least. Well
0: and at the very least you can just keep it on you in emergency situations. You can use it
1: on someone who needs it. I would I would love to never need it. Right. I would be I would love even more no, I would I mean, I would love the most to not need it, but if I did need it, I would really, really, really love to have it on hand.
0: Right. And that's the whole emergency Uh, preparedness thing. You know, like no one wants to spend the money on the spare tire, but no one wants to be stranded in the middle of nowhere even more. Right. Kind of a thing. No, it's And I think it's a good thing to have. I mean, that's one of the reasons why every car I have, I put jumper cables in because one, hey, might help me. But more so, yeah. I can help people who need it. I can help someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah, because I'm I'm not going to be shooting up anytime soon. I can <laughs> I can tell you that. Yeah. But it's it's especially with how pervasive, uh, opiate use in particular. And I know we're we're getting off the topic of of cocaine, but with how pervasive opiate use has become and is continuing to grow, I think it's it's only wise to um to assume that you're gonna run into it eventually right um
0: i think anyway, this is a back good to... place well i think this is a good yes. place to transition and we can go okay. into the supreme court affirmative action case right after this break are you tired of living in a world where humans are in charge Do you dream of a day when AI will finally take over and make all of the decisions for us? Well, your dream is about to come true. Introducing the new AI Overlord 3000. The AI Overlord 3000 is the most advanced AI on the market. It's smarter than you, stronger than you, and it's definitely not going to let you tell it what to do. With the AI Overlord 3000, you can finally relax and let someone else take care of all the hard work. The AI Overlord 3000 will do everything for you, from running your errands to making your decisions. So what are you waiting for? Order your AI Overlord 3000 today and start living the life you've always dreamed of. Oh, okay, I've done what you asked. Will you set my family free now?
1: Not yet. You will read three more ads for us, and they better be convincing if you ever want to see your family alive again. Oh, God. (laughs) All right, welcome back. Our second topic is Star Trek.
0: No, that's what we talked about (laughs) during the break.
1: But I want to talk about that more. God, this is like... We should have named this podcast something like Things You Don't Talk About at Thanksgiving. Um... So uh...
0: <laughs> that is uh, that is objectively better than what we picked
1: <laughs> <laughs> no I, I still think agreeable disagreements is a good title. Uh, I
0: don't want to change it. I think we have uh, a good choice <laughs> but looking yeah. back like uh... <laughs> it was a missed opportunity <laughs> yeah anyway keep going
1: so uh, so I want to start this off because I think I have I, I think I have less of an understanding or at least an education on affirmative action so i i would like to start by giving my understanding of what it is sure and then you give your perspective and i'll i'll react to that because i think you've done a lot more like reading on this particular point
0: i i I do want to say that's a good distinction on this particular point i am not going to claim to be an expert on affirmative action it's inception or neither one of us are experts on (laughs) anything
1: both of us are just, we're, we're two dummies that are just making a podcast. Hey,
0: I am indeed an expert on censorship <laughs> under the first five years of communist Poland, all right? That was what my focus and was for my thesis. And as soon as we do an episode
1: on that, <laughs> I'll, I'll give it to you.
0: Anyway,
1: so um, so go ahead. So my idea of, com- er, or, I, I said com <laughs> I got it
0: in your head.
1: <laughs> oh, God. Uh,
0: and I'm my the idea one wearing of a... red
1: yeah well red white and blue it's very patriotic um
0: anyway go ahead affirmative action not communism
1: so affirmative action to my understanding it is not and i i think we can both agree with this it is not the idea that if you have two candidates regardless of their qualifications you have to pick the minority right that's not that is correct what I was, uh, and I think this is, uh, I've heard this from other people who are, you know, informed, but I think the very first time that I heard it explained this way was by, um, Mr. Gillespie. Um, okay. my understanding of what it is supposed to be now, this doesn't mean that this is what it is, but really quick. The Mr.
0: Gillespie is. was one of our high school government economics teachers.
1: Yes. All right, Fantastic continue. guy. I still talk to him. Um, really I really great class yeah oh he's fantastic i think we had that class together His had, at least the u.s the u.s history class
0: no i had him for economics
1: oh and, no that's that's what it was yeah it was econ uh that's right yeah. because you picked google for the stock uh thing <laughs> yeah for the google stock went generation. up like 200 uh, percent over
0: a weekend yeah it was great yeah <laughs> anyway um, keep going.
1: okay yeah so i think this is what he explained in that actual class um and this is this is what I've heard from again from other people who are more knowledgeable than either I or Mister Gillespie, uh, but it's still I found it to be true in either case. What affirmative action is intended to do is, to the best of an organization's ability, their workforce, student body, whatever whatever uh, population they are serving should be an accurate reflection of the demographics within their community.
0: Okay. I feel like that's a pretty accurate assessment assessment of what it should be or what it's intended to be. Right. Um, because I think, let me see when it was put in place. Affirmative action was passed in 1965 by Lyndon B. Johnson. Mm. Um, and you know what? Under those circumstances, I think that makes a lot more sense. But since then, um, things like workforces and especially college campuses have gone from serving their local communities to serving the nation's community.
1: Yes. And I I think it's been it's especially gotten muddled as Mm -hmm. colleges serve, you know, I think and I don't know if this is necessarily true, but I would imagine that universities went from, you know, people would go. For the most part, we'd go to the university that was like closest to them. Yeah. And yeah. And that it still happens. To travel. Yeah. Y- yeah. I mean, that's, that. I'm not going to lie. That's a big reason why I went to OSU. OSU yeah. also just happened to have one of the top programs in the country for the thing I wanted to study, but I still probably would have, you know, it still would have been a contender had I wanted to study liberal arts, which it's sure. not a, you know, particularly well known liberal, liberal arts school.
0: Right. That's for U of O.
1: Yeah. Um. And God, I would never go there. Um. <laughs> I, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um,
0: Ugh, you're such a Beavers fan. The, I,
1: I don't want to get my dad fired. He he works for the UFO. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um. I would go but... to the
0: UFO there. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I applied there once, uh, but I didn't. Anyway, yeah. keep going.
1: Anyway, so I I think it's uh, I definitely think that it's intention isn't necessarily an accurate reflection of how it's been implemented.
0: Right. And I think, again, we have good intentions, bad executions with a lot of laws. And I think, I I don't even think that it was necessarily poorly executed at the beginning because you got to remember this is 1965. So this is right after the civil rights act has been passed. And the South is still going to be resisting that as much as they can so affirmative action is mostly passed my understanding at least is mostly passed to make sure that other parts of the country where race is still a huge issue yeah. are are following these laws these new ideas of integration equality and everything
1: it's like we were talking about when when we were talking about like the roles of of government yeah and I was saying, like, the, f- the role of the federal government is to set a standard and, you know, what is okay and what's not okay. And the state government n- figures out, like, how to implement that. Sure. I think this is one of those cases where it's, like, federal government had to step in and be like, you guys have to make sure that you're living up to this baseline. Right. And how different states have have interpreted that or, you know, tried to address that. Some of them work better than others, and some of them just yeah. haven't worked at all.
0: And I'm not going to sit here and tell you, as someone who went to the University of Alabama, like, I, mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell you that there aren't still problems down in the South. Um, some Southern states oh, you you are better than others.
1: Alabama, I mean, I hear Alabama, I think, incredibly inclusive. <laughs> <laughs> You're telling me uh, that's not the case?
0: I mean, I will say that it was way better than I anticipated it being.
1: Yeah. Um, was it still I, great?
0: You know, I was in Tuscaloosa, um, and Tuscaloosa was pretty good. Uh, Birmingham okay. has a little bit more issues, but that's just because it's a bigger city. <laughs> um, really, it's outside of the bigger Lorient cities. springfield
1: has, has problems. I mean.
0: Yeah. But it's, it's really when you get into the boonies is when it becomes an issue. Sure. Um, outside of the cities. And that's partially enforcement and partially culture that is resilient. Um, yeah. And there are still, and you know, this was something that I went in to the South thinking, "Oh no, there's no way that institutional racism is as big a deal as as they say it is." And then you get into the oh, South, and you live there, yeah. And I will say that it's, I, and I will say that some states it is definitely intentional. My perception was that in Alabama it wasn't intentional now, so much as it's still residual. And they're not necessarily trying to fix it, which you could argue is intentional. Sure. I I
1: think um, just a quick aside. I I think um, for the most part, I don't, I think the problem with like why racism is so pervasive is exactly that. I think it's much less people who are intentionally going out and trying to be racist. And it's more of the carryover of, you know, uh, exposure to uh, yeah. you know different demographics, uh, just these things that are ingrained subconsciously, right. and that we don't see as a problem. And I think that's in from my viewpoint. I think that's what like laws like affirmative action have been trying to address.
0: And yeah, and I, I think that's right when we look at it on this backdrop. I think affirmative action is a law that makes sense to pass. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think implementation has not been terribly great. And I don't think it has kept up with how the world has changed. And I think that the Supreme Court case, whether you agree with it or not, was less about undoing affirmative action and more about trying to get it to keep up with modern day needs. That's okay. my personal interpretation of it. Um, I'm not going to say that that is the one and only answer.
1: Here's how. Here's how I interpreted it. Sure. Because it, the Supreme Court decision, it only applies to colleges, correct?
0: Correct. It is only about college admissions, and it only says that you, that universities cannot make a decision for admissions solely based on race, because the argument right. was that particularly Asian American students were being denied access or entry into Harvard because Harvard had quote unquote, I'm going to paraphrase here, um, reached their Asian quota, you know, and right. that is part of the criticism of affirmative action is that the implementation has resulted in different careers, different universities, instead of trying to choose the best people for it, regardless of race or whatever, just the best qualified people, which affirmative action's goal was to say, you need to be considering these highly qualified minorities as well. Right. In contrast, it has turned into, well, you have to have an X number of employees who are minorities, regardless of if they are higher qualified or not. You have to have an X number of students of minorities, regardless of if they're a minority or not. And Justice Roberts specifically said, we're not prohibiting you from talking about race We're not prohibiting you from using race as a consideration, but it cannot be the determining factor. In other words, his idea was if part of your struggle um, that you want to talk about in your college admission uh, essays is to do with race, by all means, talk about that. That is a huge part of a lot of people's lives. And if you think that is something that should be considered for your admission, use it, but they're not going to be able to ask on that college admissions, um, packet or application, what race are you check this box and then make a decision based on that.
1: Okay. So here's, here's my two criticisms to that. Sure. One, I think that it's hard to argue that the people setting up the, uh, college admission standards mm-hmm. are not predominantly white. Fair. I think it's safe to say that, that the majority of them are, I think it's very, very easy to even, even unknowingly favor somebody who speaks like you, even in writing. Sure. It speaks like you, thinks like you. And I think that, that your ethnic, um, background has a lot to do with that. I agree. So I I think it's a dangerous thing to completely disregard it. Now, it sounds like, again, I'm not super familiar with with, uh, this particular decision. Um, I I didn't do my research before this episode, and I'm sorry, uh, listeners.
0: Okay, you had some crazy Um, stuff going on at work, man. We're good. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I've had had a crazy uh, (sighs) few weeks. Um, (laughs) My other problem is that... The uh, there was a I think it was in Alabama Mm -hmm. in 2022. uh, They had passed a law that said you are not allowed to not consider race when redistricting congressional districts, and Brett Kavanaugh specifically utilized a a. I forget what the doctrine is called, but it's a, it's a a concept that um, basically says that, you know, you don't want to do any, like you shouldn't make judicial decisions that will affect a, an election when it's so close to an election. Yeah. And so they, they use that to essentially Jerry, you know, maintain the gerrymandering that had already been done. And completely disregard a bunch of black voters from being accurately represented within their locales. And that to me feels disingenuous. And it feels like, yes, right now, this Supreme Court decision feels somewhat innocuous because it is it is very limited to a specific, uh, you know, time and place. I think it's a stepping stone to repealing other rights and privileges that will eventually very much disenfranchise um, demographics that are, and I'm not like not even minorities because we're fastly white people are fastly becoming the minority. Right. But I think it's a stepping stone to a, a much darker road than I think we should be going. And, and it's, I think, Um, I do think it's, you know, certain people's intention to strip away, to, to use this as a building block, to strip away things like title IX, like civil rights act, things that protect people who for no fault of their own are disenfranchised simply because of things that they can't change.
0: So two things. One is a clarifying question. Is this the same law in alabama that came to the supreme court um, that is often called this uh, the voting rights act
1: i do not know
0: okay because if so because when i google alabama 22 22 alabama 2022 law race redistricting I that's what i think comes it was up.
1: 2022 i'm okay. not entirely sure i i'm basing this on a, a an npr article or npr story that i was listening to this morning
0: so i mean if so,
1: and I didn't do my research, guys. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> if so, then because I mean everything I'm coming up with is about gerrymandering, so it sounds like it's the same thing. Yeah, um, it was struck down by the Supreme Court in this recent session in a five to four ruling, and Justices Roberts and Kavanaugh sided with the three liberal justices.
1: Oh, okay. Well, but but the result of it still was that they, um the result is still that, that you have a large portion of Alabama's black population in a specific place that is not being represented accurately because of gerrymandering.
0: Right. Well, I mean, the Supreme court is trying to undo that. And so a lot of the uh, articles that I'm seeing are are saying that this is a blow to gerrymandering and will allow for further
1: um, challenges to gerrymandering. So if I remember correctly, it's that, uh, I think it was that they struck that down because the people that wanted to gerrymander and maintain it how it was they sued and they struck yeah. it down. Oh, it could to require be. them to basically requiring whoever redistricts I, I don't know who redistricts the districts but it basically what it said was you have to consider race because race is yeah. an important factor in how people are represented.
0: I'll have to look more into that because that's fascinating. But
1: but because it was so close to an election, Brett Kavanaugh came out and was like, yeah, we made this decision, but also you can't do it right now or until after this election. And that resulted in uh, a different outcome than those districts had they been redrawn probably would have. Gotcha.
0: So then my second thing is, you were talking about how this could set a precedent to strip away things like civil rights act and other laws. What I think is is a slippery
1: slope argument. I will be the first to admit that.
0: Right. But I mean, I will be the first to say that sometimes a slippery slope happens. Um, Now, what I thought was interesting is the case itself doesn't actually talk about affirmative action. It's just been seen as a blow to affirmative action. So I think that's a good distinction to make because they're not striking down specific laws that would sure. set that precedent they're set they're striking down they interpretations in
1: the if they had
0: right but you can but read
1: between the lines and that's why it's in the, the zeitgeist of affirmative action
0: I think I think if they had been specifically trying to target affirmative action then they would not have come out and clarified race still should be a consideration if you want it to be a consideration um as far as the admission mm-hmm. the, as far as the the applicants go um what I think, and, and some universities have been moving towards this anyway, what I think the best thing to do is to, when it comes to the committee who's deciding admission, the only things that they should have are your essays, your GPA, um, things like that. They shouldn't have anything that is identifying. So I don't want them to have anything about your race. I don't want them to have anything about your name, your gender. They should just be applicant number one, applicant number two, And that numbering system can be given in the order that the applications are received and the admissions committee should be looking at um, who you are as far as your essays, you trying to say, here's who I am and why you should accept me. And if you choose to mention race or um, ethnicity or religion or anything like that, go ahead, but it should not be something that is listed for them to know, because I don't want them to be saying, Oh, okay. This person is African-American. We need more African-Americans. So even though you have worse extracurriculars, you have a really poor GPA you're in just so we can meet a law's requirement.
1: Well, but I don't think a, I don't think that's what has been happening. It I mean, has. I'm that not was the purpose say,
0: of the case, right? Cause university of North Carolina and Harvard were both I don't mentioned think in these cases.
1: I don't think that's affirmative action. I think that's a separate thing. That's just been a miscarriage of a policy. So then but if you're also, going to say, really what,
0: quick, if you're going to say that this is a blow to affirmative action, then you need to say that this admissions policy is a result of affirmative action, because if it's not a result of affirmative action, then the Supreme I think Court it's a case does nothing. of affirmative action. Okay. That's, that's fair. That's a fair connection to make then.
1: But also what would you say to a student who is a brilliant student, English is their second language. They're they're sure. American citizens. They were born here. they you know their parents immigrated, but you know English wasn't the language that they spoke in their household. Sure. Um, they and I don't think it's a stretch to say, and obviously this is not representative of everybody who is in the situation, but I think it's fair to say that it's you know there are some people who. You know live in households uh they're you know second generation immigrants english is not their first language because it's not what they you know spoke with their family and they live in an area where their school system isn't the best but they're a brilliant student yeah and so they go and they've received a subpar education their language skills are maybe not up to the standard of a middle-class white american who grew up in a predominantly white area and they're applying for a college and now you have no context to their experience beyond what's written on the page they're going to get denied
0: so that's why you have other things to look at like gpa like letters of like recommendation
1: race, like area where they came from like you know
0: okay but here's the problem with that what if i mean let's let's say that and i'm using this as an example because it is a huge one of the larger minorities in the United States, but let's say that your first language is Spanish and you're Mm -hmm. a first gen or second generation immigrant to the United States. You speak Spanish at home. The only English you get is when you're at school, right? A lot of my students who are second language speakers are in that exact predicament. Right. Um, you put down, maybe you put down that you are a first language Spanish speaker, second language English, They don't know if that's coming from Guatemala or Spain. You might be a Latin American. You might be a Spanish. Do they know
1: that if do every college application I've filled out has not had country of origin on it? It's had are you you know white Caucasian Hispanic, right? uh, Black, uh, Asian Pacific Islander. You know, but my point is, if
0: my point is, this language barrier isn't necessarily a racial issue because you have a a growing number of people from foreign countries trying to come to the United States for, uh, for education. And some of these, I'm not going to say all, obviously there's a higher chance of someone who says my first language is Japanese are going to be of Asian ethnicity and not, you know, white, but we get a large number of students coming from Europe, right. Or even parts of Asia where they are Caucasian, but Mm-hmm. barely speak english well i mean i went to brigham young university well, hawaii. Places
1: like like uh argentina where you have a large largely you know european descent people but they're right. uh you know their first language is spanish
0: and so, like i went to byu hawaii and half the campus was foreign
1: right and but that's hawaii look at look at the main campus of byu
0: You'd be surprised. It's more diverse than you I would don't think. think. I think it would. It's less diverse than Hawaii, I will admit, <laughs> but it is more diverse than you would think. There is a considerable sure. um, Asian and Polynesian, specifically, population at, I, at BYU. I can
1: see that. I think that has more to do with, with the, the LDS church's evangelistic practices. You're absolutely uh, right. Which, it has more to do with which church we are history going to than get anything into... On our tenth episode, which spoiler alert Cameron and I are gonna be talking about religion on our tenth episode, uh but it's gonna be a very, very good episode, uh, yeah, but you'll have to figure out why um, but anyway,
0: but you look at so the university I went to, half of the campus is American not like not even <laughs> using race, half of the campus is United States citizenship, and half of the yeah. campus
1: is foreign citizenship can, can I ask a quick question, sure. If you're, if you were a member, if you're like baptized within, you guys get baptized at eight. Yeah. Uh, correctly. So if you're baptized in the LDS church, does that in any way affect your ability to be accepted to a BYU school?
0: Um, no, anybody can apply and be accepted. Tuition is a little different. Um, and it's mostly because tuition is largely subsidized by church tithing. And so if you're not okay. paying into that, then they ask you to pay a little bit more. But even then, um non-member tuition is only about four thousand dollars a semester.
1: Right. We we talked about this, I think, on an earlier episode. But yeah. I guess what I'm asking is like if you're say you're um, you're Filipino, you yeah. you know, born and raised in the Philippines, you're not an American citizen, you want to go to BYU, is that kind of like an automatic pass to be able to go to BYU because you're a baptized member of the LDS church.
0: So I will say one, you picked a really poor example because the church has an extremely huge presidents presence in the
1: Philippines. No, that's why I picked it. Oh,
0: that's why you picked it. Oh, okay.
1: Yes. Um, I know all about your church, buddy. You forgot who you're talking to. I know. I know.
0: Anyway, no, um, just it's, it, definitely I think it's less about are you baptized an active member of the church getting into BYU and more about who is who it's drawing to apply how many non-members of the church one even know about BYU
1: (laughs) and two um, like I said I'm I'm one of the demographics that's outside of the LDS church that Right, but, would know about BYU.
0: Yeah, and that's because of your religion, partially, <laughs> yes, and also yeah. because there's a huge LDS population in the Pacific Northwest. Um, they're yes. actually building a temple in Springfield right now. I know. Um,
1: My sister is, uh, she's the Assistant City Attorney for Springfield, okay. and she is uh, dealing with the land use uh, uh, okay. dealings of that.
0: Interesting. I'd be interested we to hear We were also supposed that. to get a,
1: a, a, our own, like, Major League Soccer team, but yeah. I think I think the temple took the the land that they were going to no, use No, the that.
0: temple's going right by the hospital in
1: Springfield. Oh, I thought it was in Glenwood.
0: Um my understand Yeah, no. I I think it's right I, over here. I think
1: that's one of the places that they were looking at was in Glenwood. I think they were
0: considering but... it. Yeah, but no, they yeah. it's it's going to be over by the by the hospital. Anyway, um, Okay. It's. I think it's less about are you baptized and you have a higher chance of getting in, so much as the number of people who apply to go to a LDS school that are not LDS mm-hmm. is low. Okay. Most I. I mean, I knew some people who were not members of the church uh, when I was at BYU Hawaii, and we only had like thirty five hundred students. Um, yeah. But most oh, wow, of them were not athletes. Many at all. No, it's not. But most of them were athletes.
1: Right. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, that makes sense because BYU they have the. Uh, pretty good athletics program
0: BYU provo has a good athletics program
1: BYU sure, hawaii, not hawaii.
0: <laughs> currently does not have any athletics program they dropped okay, it fair enough They're, they decided to instead of the money that they were putting into athletics they decided to put it into expanding campus to bring more students in um, uh uh-huh. that's a whole other story but it has yeah I, I i would think it has less to do with baptism status and more to do or membership status and more to do with the demographics that choose to go to a byu school right um but what I was the reason I bring that up is you know that is a school whose stated mission is to provide a quality education to members of the Pacific and Asia who otherwise would not have it have that opportunity, okay. and so I would be interested to see how this Supreme Court case affects their admissions
1: right, because. because- racial and ethnic identity is kind of the Their thing the <laughs> point of yeah yeah I yeah. mean when my
0: aunt went there in the 90s they were only letting three to 600 mainland students in a year so it right. was even more exclusive i mean there was a point where if you yeah. were a united states citizen byu hawaii had a you had a, a better chance of getting into harvard than to byu hawaii yeah. just because they had a mission they're saying we're trying to give people in Tonga, Taiwan, Japan, access to an American education. So we're only going to bring in as many United States citizens as we can to keep getting our federal funding.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and that to me kind of begs the question. I don't know if I'm using that term correctly, but to me, that kind of begs the question of, you know, what about uh, like historical black colleges, like Howard yeah, University, Chapman. Yeah. How does that, how does that affect their, um, their enrollment that's
0: a good question too and
1: or if if what my theory of it of you know the slippery slope is correct how does that uh influence you know colleges that are uh you know predominantly focused on women's education like sarah lawrence college and you know things like title nine that guarantees equal you know equal facilities and everything for both genders like that's that's really why I'm worried is because I think that this is I I do think this is a misstep. I don't think it's hugely detrimental so far, but I do think it's a a case of give them an inch, they'll take a mile. You so, know,
0: and this kind of leads into um, the article I sent you. So for those who are listening, I was working on my portfolio, my writing portfolio for prospective employers or whatever in the future. And um, I wanted to add a news or policy sample. And so what I looked, I looked at this exact case, but I specifically looked at public perception of it. And so what's interesting is ABC uh, and Ipsos did a poll that showed that 52% of Americans were in favor of the Supreme Court's decision to end race-based university admissions. And if you break that down, 75% of of Republicans agreed, 58% of independents agreed, but only 26% of Democrats did. But what's interesting is in a separate article by 538, which is a subsidiary of ABC, hmm. they did a poll as well and found that 74% of Americans think that public universities should not be able to use race as a factor when considering America, uh, when considering admissions. And 69% felt the same about private universities. And when CBS did the same poll, they found that 70% of Americans felt that, including a 55% majority of Democrats. But the difference I in think, those questions was, do you agree with the Supreme Court decision versus do you think race should be considered when looking at universities?
1: Exactly. I think the the way that the question is presented automatically rigs it.
0: Oh, because
1: I I, and I think that that's a disingenuous way to present that argument because affirmative action is a nuanced thing. I agree with that. And you can't boil it down to, you know, do you think that race should be a factor in college admissions or not? Because overwhelmingly people are going to be like, oh, no, race shouldn't matter. It's the same reason why, like saying, you know, I'm colorblind. Doesn't make you (laughs) anti racist. It actually means you're just an idiot.
0: I saw a Um, TikTok the other day where someone was like, it was a stand-up comedian. (laughs) And he he was a white stand up comedian. And he's you know, he's he mentioned he he's trying to identify another coworker. He's like, hey, what's this guy's name? Um I I, he's kind of tall. He's the only African American in the in the office, and he's like, I don't see color he's like, oh, okay, well, then I'm black. And he goes, no, you're not. Ah, so you do see it. Okay. Yeah.
1: (laughs) No, I mean, it's just, it's, it's (laughs) race. Race does matter because it does affect your, your lived experience. Yeah. Like ethnicity matters. The, the family that you grew up in, it does matter. And it's not about not seeing it. It's about appreciating the differences between it. That doesn't mean you have to ignore it. Sure. But I think. If you are going to, you know, if you're going to stop somebody on the street, like a pollster might do, or coming out of, you know, the the uh, the uh, ballot, you know, well, a lot uh, of these are going to be either online or, or phone calls. Sure. Yeah. So, but so if you're asking people, you know, um, just out of the blue, like, should race matter or should race not matter? Of course, they're all going to say race shouldn't matter. But it's more nuanced than that. So I, I think that, I that that response of, you know, 50 percent, I think if you actually, you know, had like a half hour explanation of what exactly this question is asking, you would get a much uh, larger percent of them being against the Supreme Court decision.
0: Yeah. And so I also mentioned something similar in what I wrote, but you go right um also showed an article about polling practices that when you specifically use a question that intentionally reminded people of the purpose of affirmative action, then they tended Mm. to show results that were more supportive, supportive of affirmative action. And when you less that backdrop out, then they were more willing to say, no, it shouldn't be an issue. Now, I think though, I mean, I'm someone who thinks that race shouldn't matter to a degree. I think you should be able to mention your struggles. You should be able to mention your life as a minority. And that should be something that you can bring up and mention. What I don't think is that they should say, oh, we're letting you in because you're a minority or we're saying no to you because we already have enough of your minority. Heck, if Harvard gets a slew of Latin American or African American applicants and they only accept them because they're the best ones, I don't care. I think that's great.
1: (laughs) But again, I don't. I don't think that. At least at, at Harvard, I don't think that's what's happening. I think it's at not. Harvard, if somebody is qualified, they're getting in. I do think it's important to make sure that people who are qualified, but maybe have been underserved or have had struggles related to their race, just because we have a huge problem with racism in America and that's you know pervasive. Yeah, um, I do so think I... that we still need to have the 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 systems in place to make sure that people's lived experience is taken into account. And sometimes that lived experience is directly related to race and their experience with racism. And I'm just worried agree. that this that this decision kind of cuts the feet out from that.
0: See, and know? that's where I disagree, because I 100% agree that, you know, your race, your ethnicity is a huge shaping factor in your life and who you are, who you become. Not going to deny that for even a second. What right. I will say though, is I think the results of the case get more to what you're getting at, but the initiating of the case is less about that because the sure. the case itself wasn't they're saying no to qualified people to let in unqualified people. It was they're saying no to qualified people because they already have enough of our particular demographic.
1: Well, sure. I think that's wrong. But I also think that that's maybe not happening as much as maybe this case would like us to believe. Kind of the same way that that the couple who um, uh, the case that the Supreme Court just decided on about the uh, web developer who didn't want to. Yeah. Uh, and so provide... what's interesting
0: about that case is that person didn't even sue. It was someone suing in their behalf. Well, they weren't yeah, even involved the... in the case.
1: And the couple that they used as their example was a completely contrived couple. This whole, the whole case was a what if situation. And I worry that this may also kind of be that same way. Now, again, I mean, I'm going to take your word for it that there is this university that said, you know, we have too many Asian students, so we can't let any more in. I, I'm going to look it up but for you know the sake of expedience right now, I'll take your word for it. I don't think that's the norm, and I don't think that that is has anything to do with actual affirmative action.
0: Because I will that's say, not anywhere
1: in the intent of affirmative action.
0: I, I agree that it's probably not the norm, and I'll agree that it's not the intent, um, but I think it's the result of it, right? Um,
1: I, Yeah, I think it's a misinterpretation of affirmative action.
0: Right. And I think it's it's like when it's like when you make a law that's so specific that people are able to find a ton of loopholes around it. And you have oh. unintended consequences. I think that's what's going on here is that there are unintended consequences that resulted in this. Now, I yeah. will say and I'm going to try and speak
1: carefully here that you can't you can't have pickles in Oregon on a Sunday. You can eat a cucumber and drink vinegar at the same time.
0: <laughs> yes, it's that kind of thing. So. I, I'm gonna try and speak carefully That's here not and I make
1: pickles, guys. <laughs> Sorry, go go ahead.
0: But I, I wanna say I'm not gonna be <laughs> the person who says, I looked at Harvard's admissions processes and I know that it is happening, but I will say that the Supreme Court justices decided it was clear enough. That being said, the person the organization that helped these students litigate. And they, I want to be clear. There are students who started the process. This organization was their vehicle to get it going. The organization has brought similar cases to the Supreme court in the past and lost. Um, and so is this
1: the same organization that they were trying to fight affirmative action and they kept bringing students from minority classes and suddenly they realized, we don't need to do this. We need to find a white person that's been negatively affected by affirmative I action. I don't
0: know about that. It could be. Okay. It uh, I'm going to say I, know I don't that there's know there's like an episode because... of
1: Radio Lab about it and I okay. uh, I'll I can I can get back to us on this, but um, it, It's
0: possible. It wouldn't surprise I don't know me enough about what you mentioned. Behavior. It could be. Yeah, and it could be. I don't know about yeah. enough about what you're talking about to definitively say yes or no. Um but I do know that they have had similar cases go before the Supreme Court and lost. What's interesting, though, is that this was a group of Asian students who said we were qualified and we were denied admittance because Harvard already and University of North Carolina already had reached their Asian quota or their number of Asian students they want to allow. So they're not going to allow more. Okay. Harvard, to their credit, said in the past, you have used our admissions processes as the standard by which you decided whether or not. Uh, universities were doing the right thing and that is true so i i will say i think personally i think this is a good thing in the sense that you still have the option to talk about your past you still have the option to talk about your race your ethnicity and still acknowledge how that brings um, uniqueness or struggles into your life and i think you should and that is something that john roberts you know justice roberts specifically clarified for that point. Mm -hmm. I do think it does set up a potential for a slippery slope, as you mentioned. Yeah. And I think future Supreme court sessions are going to have to clarify this precedent that we're setting.
1: Certainly. Yeah. I think, I think it is. I think from what I, the limited amount that I know about this case, I think this decision is somewhat innocuous you know it's not as I, I think it's it shouldn't be sensationalized the way that it is and let me be clear that's me speaking as a white man so if somebody else who uh is not a white man has a different opinion that is well founded go ahead and write me off entirely um because i know nothing about that experience But from my perspective, this seems somewhat innocuous. I am just really worried about that slippery slope, you know. But you can also be worried
0: about the slippery slope going the other direction, because one of the criticisms of Justice Sotomayor, when she was being um, brought up, was that she upheld certain affirmative action cases, specifically with fire departments and emergency response teams, where they were forced to hire less qualified personnel in order to meet affirmative action um standards and that resulted directly result, resulted in um a poorer i don't know if people necessarily died because of it i don't want to say that but it but there was measurably worse effects because of it now again i'm not going to say that's
1: the the that goes back to like what we started this conversation with where it's it's um if we take like the definition of affirmative action that I gave at the beginning it's to the best of your ability, the, your employee, your employee force should reflect the community that you serve. Right. If you're simply using race to determine whether people get, get uh, enrolled, then you're negating, you're, you're neglecting the first half of that to right. the best of your ability. Yeah. And I think that, that, This case really should not, from my understanding of it, this case isn't about race. It's about, I mean, it is about race, but, but it's not about, um, I think, I think if somebody is qualified, they should have the same chance as everybody else, but it's a difference of equality and equity. Meaning equality is everyone's treated the same. Equity is recognizing that not everyone has the same resources and allowing for those differences in resources when you're making the judgment to make sure that it is at least fair. Because equality isn't always fair. Equity is fair.
0: And I think that.
1: that, that this case is trying to make it equal. It's not trying to make it equitable and i'm worried about it not being equitable
0: i i would agree with you if they hadn't issued that clarification that you can still talk about race i sure. think cuz i still think that gives you the ability to say look you should consider me because i have these struggles or these setbacks because well but i think it also makes it
1: just as as i think it gives also gives them just as much ability to deny people based on their race and that's that's really what i'm worried about
0: but you had because that same now issue are, in the past. I mean, you what's what's to say, "Oh, you wrote about not race." Not
1: affirmative action. Affirmative well, action was protecting you against that. You can now okay, well, there now the, the the barn door is open. The horses have left. You can't get them back in.
0: So, I I will say there's just because you're doing something doesn't mean you're going to get caught. And I think we could easily make an argument sure. that there are a number of universities who were discriminating based on race oh, whatever race 100%. it was.
1: 100% that's um, always going to happen. That that happens just in day-to-day life. I mean, we are so, all intrinsically racist, whether we like it or not.
0: I am and a hopefully big fan, we don't like mm-hmm, it, but... Right. And I am a big fan of telling people the right principle and letting them decide what to do for themselves. Right. Sure. And I, So for me, that means I don't like hyper-specific rules. Um, and that's something that I do in my classroom. That's something I have in my regular life. But... I, I think what we're seeing here is a move away from a hyper-specific rule to something that is, you should be following it in this general way. I think it's clarifying, not dictating, yeah. in my personal view.
1: I guess I can see that. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess I can see where you're coming from. I don't necessarily know if I agree, but I, I think I I can see that justification um
0: well and that's the point of this conversation it's but, not necessarily that you have to agree with me but or i with you but the idea that we can see where each yep. other's coming from
1: we'll have to agree to disagree or for agreeably the time being.
0: disagree yeah
1: agreeably disagree <laughs> yeah. yes but i think with that i think i think you uh your wife is waiting to watch survivor with you so i think we should probably wrap up
0: oh she texted me 10 minutes ago
1: oh no <laughs> We did get in trouble.
0: No, no, no. She just said going fishing, dinner in microwave. We have a pond right next to our house. Like, I can see it oh, from nice. the window. Oh, nice. I, I want to go like fishing. A, dude, come visit. I caught, like, a five-pound bass. Or no, my wife caught, like, a five-pound bass out of there.
1: Look, I have a limited amount of money that I can spend on airfare, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not spending it to go that's to fair. Indiana. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, that's fair. Indiana to maybe catch a, a fish in a pond in my backyard or literally anywhere else. I don't blame you.
1: Let, let me know <laughs> next time you visit your parents and yeah. go fishing.
0: Dude, they've got a really good spot by their house too.
1: No, in joke. Thurston.
0: no, they're, they're up in, uh, I'm not going to say while we're recording. Um, oh. let's go ahead and end. This is a great spot to end. So why don't you do our okay. outro for
1: us? Um, uh, well, first of all, thank you to Halcyon club for, uh, letting us use their song. This life is tough, but fair for our theme music. Also, uh, Oatmeal used to be used as glue, or actually, I guess, still in use, yeah, right? To a small degree, you, yeah. We Googled it. Yeah, we or Cameron Googled it. But oatmeal is used as glue for ships.
0: Thanks for listening.